Welcome to the Light Plus podcast from Lighthouse. In this series, we'll be talking to the artists and curators behind Alternate Realities, an exhibition at Lighthouse for Brighton Digital Festival 2018, touring from Sheffield Dockfest. I'm Ali and I'll be your host for this episode. Today we'll be talking to Dan Tucker of Sheffield Dockfest and curator of Alternate Realities. We talk about the works presented at Lighthouse, the role of the curator and working with artists using emergent technologies. Welcome Dan Tucker. Thank you. From Sheffield Dockfest, curator of Alternate Realities. Welcome to Brighton. Thanks. Sun's shining. All is well? Yeah, it's lovely. Um, thank you very much for bringing the selected works on tour to Lighthouse. It's a pleasure to be working with you and the team. Before we talk about the individual works in the programme, I wanted to talk about alternate realities as a whole. Yeah. And um, when we visited in Sheffield, there were two driving themes. And I was interested to know if those themes came first or if the works guided mm. that direction. It's a good question. Um, I mean, I'd like to say that the themes came first, but they kind of evolved synchronously. There, there was stuff that I said I wanted to do for the 2018 festival before we selected the works. And it was a continuation of the work that we started in 2017. So we wanted to program more content that was about identity, because I think that's something that interactive and immersive narrative does really well, and it's really interesting. Um, and we wanted to have more works that promoted unity um, and that that has been ever present in the selection of works and the curation of the space <clears throat> how we title the exhibitions and what we want the audience experience to be like for both Joe and I and in 2017 it was like a, it felt like a very visceral reaction to um, to what was going on um, politically in this country and certainly in America that we're just seeing so many lines of division and we wanted people to come into the gallery space and Millennium Gallery um, and feel connected to one another and also think about who they were and and the lives of others. The great thing I think about, about documentary actually just riffing off a little bit is that documentary is such a powerful medium because it makes you engage with the stories of others. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy in life to be preoccupied with your own story and forget how important it is to, to listen or experience the stories yeah. of others. So so that, you know, identity and unity were, were, the, were the kind of core themes um, for 2017 and we carried those through. And we, and we wanted to have more experiences, uh, more challenging, more risk-taking experiences that promoted that. But I was also interested in um, stories of the natural world. I wanted people to think about how fragile the planet was I wanted um, stories um, from different regions I wanted to find new makers but but the other thing I wanted was a provocation I wanted people to come into the exhibition in particular because there's other parts of the program and in particular I want people to come into the exhibition in 2018 and feel arrested feel arrested by the environment so they walk in and think whoa this is this is an interesting space this is a moody space like it feels rough and raw and and i mean not dangerous but <laughs> maybe not precarious but for there to be a, a, an element of uh, of the space already unsettling you a bit and i wanted the work to do that too i wanted people to come away and be profoundly affected a bit sometimes a bit worried sometimes a bit disturbed sometimes concerned but then have enough time to reflect on actually the message here is that we need to remain connected and we need to keep examining our identity and how we how we view others 
so that was that was something that we kind of knew we wanted to do but but the more refined um identity of these two exhibition spaces the world unknown to you Mm -hmm. and better known truths evolved Mm -hmm. as we selected the program and the upstairs room um which was 360 video seen synchronously that was uh, a combination of of lots of different things so the first thing was that i wanted to use 360 video um I wanted to use 360 video under the banner of Better Known Truths because I think these are films that are really difficult to watch, but it's better that you know about them than you don't. Mm. And generally speaking, that's how I feel. That's how I feel we should be as responsible human adults. Like, you know, watching the news is fucking depressing, but you should watch the news because you need to know what's going on. Watching documentaries is sometimes really difficult, but you need to know what's going on. You need to understand your own responsibility for what is going on politically, socially, um, geographically environmentally you know it's very important <clears throat> so we set that up as um as a shared experience because we wanted people to see those films and and be there together to watch them together and often that's dubbed kind of vr cinema i think that's the wrong it's the wrong parlance it's the wrong way of describing that experience sadly i haven't found a better bit of terminology but i think it's different to cinema like mm. cinema yes we all sit together but there's a there's a known ritual um, whereas the synchronous the VR scene synchronously or experience synchronously is different to cinema mm-hmm. so we were trying to reinvent that ritual so Better Known Truths was firstly about this uncompromising content you experience together and then you come away hopefully speaking to each other but there was also a ritual that we tried to create ourselves firstly in the way the content was programmed in that you had five playlists and we put films together so you would go and watch films within a theme and that came about because I was frustrated with going to VR cinema events mm. and seeing this kaleidoscope of content that had no bearing on you know had no there was no connection between the films mm. and I just thought that's either lazy programming or it's because no one's really thinking about this audience experience and it pissed me off a bit I was like that's really annoying and I spoke to uh, Ingrid Kopp from Tribeca who's the curator of something called Storyscapes and we were both saying the same it's kind of annoying going to VR cinema and she said, well, it's impossible to, you know, then put them together. I said, it's not impossible, Ingrid, and I'm going to do it. So it was partly a challenge, I think, for myself, because having spoken with a fellow curator about what well, we can make this better, I then took on that challenge mm. to prove it to myself and to her, although she <laughs> didn't come to the festival in the end. <laughs> but I did, I think, prove it to myself and the audience. Um, and the final thing was the actual ritual of the audience so the audience would turn out they book a playlist so they understand very clearly the theme of the Mm. content they would see childhood Mm. two films about childhood when they entered into the space um there was one host who would almost stand at a lectern and say a few things about this playlist these two or three films what was to be experienced um and then everyone would have the experience well facilitated and at the very end that person he or she would spark up a little conversation and there'd be a debate about um, what they'd seen. Mm. So we were trying to evolve that kind of VR cinema experience. And that was, that came about also because of, of seeing the way different, um, different curators and teams are programming. It's a lot of magpieing, you know, the job of curator. And in particular, Catherine Allen and Limina had these sessions where they would bring people in, talk and then talk afterwards. And I spoke to Catherine and said, look, I want to do something like that. And, and, we, we just bounced around a few ideas and she really helped. 
uh, I think, to make that a more kind of cohesive idea. Mm. And I'd like to see more of that. I'd really like to see people, because I really, I, I really believe in 360 video, programming 360 video in that way. Mm. And then downstairs, um, The World Unknown to You was about about bringing people in, often into VR for the first time, but into the minds and experiences of others <clears throat> in new and unusual ways and visceral ways. And what we hoped, what I hoped, and this did come a lot later actually, but I'd love to say that this came on the first day of planning because it, it would have been a very cool curatorial thing to do, but it evolved, was that we, I wanted to link up the world unknown to you and better known truths with this idea of the hero's journey mm. in which you start in the known, travel into the unknown and return to the known enlightened. So I talked about that a lot of people were like, oh, that's really good. Nice. That's really nice. I was like, yeah, wish I'd kind of like said that at the very beginning, <laughs> but it kind of came along a bit later from thinking about my interest in interactive narrative. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of, I mean, I guess there's lots of themes and it, so it sounds a bit scattergun, but but the, but the core principle of, you know, identity and unity was always there, wanting a provocation. And then the two th titles and uh, um, themes for the two exhibition spaces, Better Known Truths and What I Known to You, developed a bit later, but were always bubbling there. Right. And then the idea of them being linked by the hero's journey came a bit later on. And yeah. some people got that and some people didn't, but that's okay. Which brings me to my next question, which is about the sort of power that, XR, VR, AR has to enhance a narrative, be it mm. fiction or or non-fiction. Do you mm. think? Do you think there's a lot more work to do, or what are your thoughts? Uh, well, I think I, I can't remember if I said this before or after it's just the mic on, but we're very early on in the development of this immersive medium and the technology. I mean, you know. I love all the technological partners. Thank you all so much for helping us. But we have these clunky things on our faces. I mean, that in, in itself is already a, a challenge. And people look at that and feel a bit weird about it. Uh, I, I, as someone who sees a lot of this work and goes around the world all the time, I feel a bit like... My heart sinks a bit when I look at posters of people with VR headsets on their faces or, <laughs> or people who have, you know, their Instagram or social profiles of them wearing the latest headsets yeah. like no that is perpetuating the conversation purely about the technology not about the medium we need to be taking stock documenting uh, critiquing the medium so there is work to be done there I right. mean, you know as as all these wonderful new pieces of work develop we need to be talking about them um, critically we need to be sharing learnings so i think that that is work that needs to be done mm. Is XR a powerful medium for storytelling? Yes. Uh, or if you want to call it story living or story doing, whatever, yeah. any of those other awful, yeah. I think awful phrases. <laughs> but as an experiential story form, yeah. XR, which would involve augmented reality, virtual mm -hmm. reality and mixed reality, mm -hmm. is amazing. It's really magical still. Mm. It's really powerful. It's really visceral. Um, quite often with those experiences you are either being there or being them and that's different to when you watch something on a linear screen because you are you are watching there or watching them sometimes you have the pov so you embody them but it's not it's not the same as when you're immersed in um in the bauble 
mm-hmm. if you will, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a visual and aural media that you get with with immersive. Mm. But I think there is a lot of work to be done, and but I'm glad that we're still really experimenting. Yeah. I think what's coming to the surface now, certainly in the artistic world of immersive, whether it be fiction or non-fiction, but definitely non-fiction, is that we're seeing there is no there is no home market for this yet. Maybe it's because there are massive clunky things you've got to put on your face right. by a very expensive computer. Right. There's no home market for this yet, and hopefully the Oculus Go will change that. But what we are seeing is that people want to go to events to experience this technology. They want to go um, to festivals. They want to go to galleries, museums. And actually, arts and culture is a space where this kind of work fits beautifully. Yeah. And you're starting to see that even the distributors who were hyping up the AR, VR curve start to say, okay, well, geez, how are we... Oh, we're not going to make any money out of this. But where can we even put it? Mm-hmm. Where's it going? It's going into museums is going to galleries i mean some public spaces like airports and malls too but mostly it's going to arts and culture institutions and that's where it's really exciting and that's where that's what drives the quality of the work as well so you get great pieces of work like terminal three at lighthouse Mm -hmm. you know um or belongings you know this piece that started at the sydney biennale yeah but i do think there's work to be done um i worry about I worry about the continued focus on tech over storytelling and, yeah. and progressing the craft. You know, I'd love to see some, I'd love to see makers just take on some simple challenges. Like I'm going to be making a series of pieces that really focus on proximity, proximity and intimacy. Right. I'm going to make a series of, process, uh, of pieces that focus on world building and scale because those are the elements of immersive that we know work very differently to other types of media, but no one's spending enough time to really dig into them. And I worry a little bit about the Hollywoodization in that there's money pouring into this now, but it's money that's pouring in if there's big name talent. Right. Um, and there's a kind of hype curve going on where people, I think, want to change the perspective of certainly where VR is going. But the most important thing should be that people get to see it. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And I think um, having spoken to the artists and makers of the four works um, in more detail, especially for the podcast, um, is that what's really important for them is that they've selected political and social stories and Mm. narratives, narratives that they want to share with a wider audience. And I know that in particular, uh, John Paul Marin and um, Mm. Ifatu were talking about having their work Mm. in the public realm. Mm. And for me, that's really exciting. Mm in a kind of dichotomy to what you were saying about how important it is to have it in galleries and museums. Mm. I think it's super exciting to put it in the public realm. Um, and I think that's where we need a little bit of work in terms of how the te- technology and businesses use VR and AR and XR um, with artists. It need, The conversation needs to start sooner rather than making a piece of work and then putting it in the public realm, it needs to be a collaborative mm, experience. Mm. Well, I think that what's linked to that is the idea of public exhibition. And so you're starting to see all these wonderful pieces of work come with bigger installation and bigger ideas about mm. public exhibition, but they're not had at the beginning because quite often they're technology-led uh, projects. And then, you know, sometimes to me and Joe's chagrin, we talk to artists and then we say, so... Is there an installation? They're like, yeah, great. What is it? You were working on it. And then we get, you know, quite far down the line and then yeah. we've got to all work out what it is together. And Joe, who's a, a, 
a video artist himself, you know, thinks from the very beginning about um, the exhibition format and, yeah. and, and the experience in space. Yeah. And that is something that I've grown to really appreciate in the two and a bit years that I've been either on the circuit mm. showing a, a VR piece that, uh, that I produced with an artist as someone who has literally been manning the stall, exhibiting, attending events and curating, now curating. I'm really interested in the physical as much and sometimes even more than I am in, 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 in the virtual because I think that the physical part of the story is really important, whether it just be a human being you talk to before you go in, mm. whether it be an installation and some set dressing that is the perfect primary and giving you context to what the story is about. Mm. I would like to see that conversation starting earlier, what you're saying. Mm. I would like to see people thinking about that sooner. I mean, Belongings, what a wonderful piece, yeah. made to be projected in a large space. You can lift and shift that. That's great. I yeah. mean, as long as it's not overly bright, yeah. that can be put in all sorts of places. I love I would... the idea of it being on the tube. Yeah, that's, that's a great, great idea. That's a great idea. And they've <laughs> got, I mean, you've got all the technology there yeah. as well. yeah. I wouldn't want to be the person having to do the edge blending on a tube platform. That's for crossrail to worry about. Yeah, but it's a really good idea. And, and, and equally, you know, come winter, yeah. it could be projected in outdoor spaces. Yeah. And all you need is your phone. I mean, that's yeah. what's really one of the most beautiful things about that. And, you yeah, know, hats off to really John Paul Marion and Kirsten and T and everyone who worked on that. I love that project. Yeah, And I remember the kind of wonderful icy chills of surprise when I phoned John and saying so what's cooking what he got you know what's, he said we're doing this thing for Sydney Biennale and he started talking about it I was like yeah well we definitely want that that mm. sounds like we definitely want to try and make that happen mm. so we're showing belongings <clears throat> at Lighthouse and when we visited Sheffield that was obviously the first piece that well I think every person that walked into Trafalgar Warehouse saw mm. because it's just such a staggeringly great piece aesthetically and visually mm. but I love the use of technology and how it brought you in yeah. to use the extension of your own arm your phone mm. and listen to intimate stories I thought it was the most such a elegant use of technology and theme and subject it was really important and I think that was the that was the turning point really it was like okay we're gonna have this piece this is great that's a given so how are we going to curate our own programme out of a curated programme? And I think I wanted to make sure that we looked at what the definition of boundaries or identity or divisions could be mm. politically, socially, mm. but also through technology. Um, I think we've done a really good job of selecting four really amazing works. Can I agree. You... <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me what those four works are? Because it's mm. nice to hear from yeah. the from the horse's mouth as you yeah. say it's a very and, and what you know, and how you felt about those four works working together it's a very pleasing selection of work I think that's come to Lighthouse and it's a very grown up selection of work you know there's there's I like the thought process that's gone through that you guys have gone through to pick these works um, and they're all exceptional teams and exceptional makers who have something really profound to say about humanity at different levels different scales you know so belongings is this wonderful interactive projection piece which is enormous you know seven meters long by almost three meters high and there are six life-size refugees slightly out of focus sitting on stools 
and as you approach you're invited to synchronize your phone with um uh, a wi-fi network like a local wi-fi network like you would in a hotel lobby yeah how easy is that everyone knows how to do that yeah i'll just get on the internet and what's brilliant is it turns your phone into a controller and then you can point at one of the characters and they step off the stool, come into focus and start talking and you hear them through your own phone. And technologically that is simple and beautiful and hats off to the incredible combination of SPS and the Google Creative Lab of Sydney who made it. You also have uh, Where is Home, which is... Um, an Instagram documentary, so it's simply told in a scrollable series of pictures and videos and it's Instagram tiles. And what I like about this project, a bit like Belongings, is it's very accessible. So intimate as well, it's such a personal project, both of those are personal projects that you can't help but emotionally respond to them. Mm. And whereas Home I think is joyous and beautiful and a bit cheeky, sometimes <laughs> a bit sexy, sometimes a bit like shocking, and has a complete gives a complete different perspective uh, uh, on Africa and Afri- young African yeah. people's lives. Yeah, and belongings gives you a completely different perspective on refugees who come to Australia. So Definitely. they're both yeah. linked in that way. Yeah, and Ifatu, um it's just like she's an extraordinary creator uh, who made yes again made something really simple but really profound. And everyone can relate to this uh, idea of where is home. It's such a simple question, but the answers are so complex and so beautiful and huge fan of that piece. Um, you, Lighthouse is also showing Lost Levels. Um, and the Lost Levels is a retro video game cabinet with a series of micro games that tell the story of Dan Het, who is a digital artist, game maker. Uh, it tells the story of Dan Het losing his brother Martin Het um, and the aftermath of what happened when he lost his brother in the Manchester Arena bombing. And it's this innocuous uh, experience where you step up and go, like, well, what is this weird? Because a lot of people just don't even read the title. They just go straight to a glowing cabinet, <laughs> start playing with the joystick and the buttons, thinking, what are yeah. these weird little WarioWare minigames? What's going on? And then about half or two thirds of the way in, the penny drops mm. that you are playing through the memories, the immediate memories, the immediate experience of what happened to Dan when his brother died in this terrorist attack. And it's incredibly profound, it's incredibly moving, and it's skillfully done. And this idea of a kind of playful expression of grief is unique. Mm. And Dan Het is. I mean, I just kind of slightly embarrassingly worship Dan Hare. <laughs> he's, he's, he's so creative. Yeah, he's, he's so amazing. interesting. And he's yeah. so humble. And he's one of the bravest dudes yeah. I know. Yeah. I he really wish in. I'd had more time to hang out with him at Dogfest. Yeah. We didn't really get time to hang out. But, um, and if you follow him on Twitter, man, that guy's like, <laughs> it's just like, he's really brave, you know. Yeah. He takes he people brave. on who should be taken on yeah. and going back to what I said at the very beginning about in 2017 thinking about a reaction against division he embodies that mm-hmm. he's the kind of artist whose work I want to program and who any way I can help them show their work or help them with their work he's the kind of person that I'd like to be helping as I'm sure everyone says that when they're here 
And then the final piece is Terminal 3. And Terminal 3 is just an extraordinary um, experience, an extraordinary artistic statement, an extraordinary example of how non-fiction can work in augmented reality, of which there are... I don't know if I can really think of any others. <clears throat> so Terminal 3 is an augmented reality experience in which you sit in a stark, bright white room, put on this headset called the Microsoft HoloLens, which means you're looking through lenses and you see the room around you, but it projects um, images onto your reality. So uh, in this case, you see a hologram. And the story in this piece is the story of a Muslim identity. You play the role of like a border guard, I guess, and you are interrogating a subject, a hologram in front of you. And uh, a series of questions are presented to you on your left or your right eye. On your left eye are the kind of official questions you would ask as a border guard. And on the right eye, it gives you the option to ask more interesting kind of off the wall questions like, you know, what do you think of the moon? Or when was the last time you saw your father? Or when did you have your first kiss? I probably made that one up, but you know, that kind of thing. And so you can either have this this conversation of interrogation or this <clears throat> conversation of exploration. Mm. And it's really interesting, you know, you quite quickly slip into having a conversation with somebody who's not there. Um, and if you are standing outside the installation and you look in, you're looking through a one-way mirror where you can see somebody talking to someone who's not there. But when you have the headset on, you're talking to this hologram. And as you ask uh, more humanizing questions, the resolution of the person changes, so they mm. become more realistic. <coughs> but if you continue down the line of the official line of questioning, they become a bit more fragmented through the, the capture technology called depth kit. I think the piece is just an extraordinary piece. I, I knew about it before it was shown anywhere. And I talked to the, <clears throat> I talked to Assad and the production company, Riot and Kaleidoscope, the partner, about the project, saying how much I thought this is the kind of thing that DocFest would want to show and the kind of artists we want to support. Assad's extraordinary. And so then I saw it at Tribeca and <coughs> was amazed. And then we brought it over to Sheffield and now it has been the, the kind of standout hit of the tour, like quite a few tour partners if you don't mind me saying, want to show it. Um, but Lighthouse is showing it in a particularly um, powerful way, I think. And I really like the setup here. And I'm very intrigued to see what people say about the piece when they come out. It's always fascinating talking to people post-experience, yeah. in particular with Terminal 3. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, it's nice that you've grouped those four works into pairs. So yeah. with um, Lost Levels... Uh, Dan came and did a talk for us on Tuesday and he talked about how he positions the observer in a different way so less of a kind of I I am walking through the street or he is walking through the street you are walking through the street mm. so you experience it through his eyes mm. in a similar way that the um, HoloLens enables mm. you, you to mm decide how you get from beginning to end of that piece mm. um, and I until you were talking I hadn't really thought about those four works in two pairs and they mm. stand up in a really nice sort of conversation together mm -hmm. it's really interesting um, so yeah 
Well, let's talk about the role of the curator. You did joke saying that you came in at the last minute and said, can we, can we change this? But it's a bit more than that. Yeah, I'd like to think so. <laughs> there is definitely, if you ask people who work with me, there is, there is some last minute stuff. Of course, there always is. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and that, you know, that kind of finishing, the curator can be a pain in the ass, but they can also make it a, a lot better. Mm. Um, and it's a great gig, you know, it's a great gig. And I think the really great curators, <clears throat> the really great curators aren't necessarily originators, actually. We're like magpies. We just learn and pick up stuff from everywhere. And then we work out a way to bring it together that means something to us and the audience. Okay. Um, and uh, especially in the world of immersive and interactive, um, unless you grow those projects. And I, you know, the last two years we've done that a bit. We, we've, we've been there from the beginning of certain projects. There was a project um, at DocFest this year I saw the prototype of this project at South by Southwest 18 months ago called Vestige or Vestige. Um, and I was just so profoundly affected by it. I was like, listen, guys, I love this project. I want to show the prototype. Let's make it happen. And um, Aaron and Paul over there, I said, no, I'm going to finish it. Um, I really respected that. And the piece is just so powerful had its premiere its world premiere at Tribeca but it's international premiere with us and when I saw it in Tribeca I mean I'd seen it quite a few times in the run-up obviously but it still every time makes me I mean I I do I like to cry and I like to make people cry so I definitely cried at that one and I wanted to you know I think it's good to cry and uh, I was like ooh, kind of a bit wet around the eyes I definitely wetted the headset I took the headset off and the entire project team was standing there like leaning forward hands on knees going you know kind of what do you think and then the central the subject of the film was there Mm. she was there and then that was it just kind of fell to pieces took a big hug and we had this wonderful conversation about how cathartic it had been for her to make this piece and going back to what you were saying about the power of um, XR, MR AR, VR all the R's all these immersive technologies I think in telling personal stories and putting you into the mind experience of others yes it can be very powerful and I like that you know we who make interactive narratives which are experimental want an emotional reaction nothing nothing is more obvious (laughs) nothing is more obvious than um and someone being upset in a, in a way you know it's crying and I, I don't mean to say that I want everyone to come to every exhibition and every touring exhibition and cry but I think there's some space for that in our lives right. to, to be a little bit upset and then think about what we do next because yeah. we're a little bit upset yeah. that's a good place to end I think yeah that's a really joyous really joyous place to end <laughs> but <laughs> There is, also, there is also a lot of joy. There's a lot of joy in the projects, I think, at, at Lighthouse. Yeah. In particular, Where is Home? I mean, you just come away from that just smiling. Yeah. And that's really nice. Yeah. That's no, good. That's in there. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. If you want to find out more about alternate realities, visit lighthouse.org.uk or chef.fest.com. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It helps other people to find us. Thanks to our supporters. This series of Light Plus is supported by Brilliant Noise. Visit brilliantnoise.com for more information. Lighthouse is funded by Arts Council England.